It's Monday the 29th of March 2021. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, a programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Vardy Mastantuone Morbelli, an adjunct lecturer in Italian linguistics and head of the section of Italian studies at the University of Iceland. Um, he made a documentary about the lives of the Russian-speaking community living in Reykjavik, um, which can be found on YouTube and is called Their Iceland, Stories of Russians in Reykjavik. He's also produced and directed a series of short documentaries called Thera Island, also meaning Their Iceland, uh, that, will be, that will be broadcast on Ruv this year, depicting the lives of immigrants from all over the world living in the capital region. Welcome to you. Good morning. Good morning and thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. Um, the headlines this week have been very much just mostly volcanic eruption and COVID restrictions. Um, I don't really need to give more of an intro to the programme than that on this occasion. Um, and we could easily talk about those two subjects for the whole half an hour, no doubt. Um, but there is also news that the golden plover arrived with spring in her beak uh, just yesterday. The Icelandic men's national football team has lost both of its first two qualifying matches for Qatar 2022, one against a side ranked 50 places lower on the world ranking. And the property market remains buoyant, with more homes sold this winter than ever before. Record low interest rates clearly helping that situation. Um, but before we go into any of that, let's start by talking a little bit about their Iceland uh, and also Thera Island as well. Um, what gave yes, you the idea to, to start this project? Yeah, this all started, um, I've been in Iceland for 10 years, living here for 10 years. I arrived in 2011. Uh, it was the 7th of July, I remember now, it's going to be soon, like the anniversary, 10 years. And the idea came around 2013, I think, because there were no programs. There was, there was no uh, program like this one, the week in Iceland, for example. You know, this is such a, a big change compared to what uh, was available back then which is very little, if nothing. So we were, the immigrants were not represented. And uh, Reykjavik then slowly, well, quite fast, rapidly, I'd say, became um, a multi-ethnic society. And I felt that we were not being represented, our voices were not being heard. And while going to Vesterbeyerloik, I was talking to people and uh, this idea came up to just collect some interviews. But the project did not start in 2008 and 13, it started five years later, 2018. I finally said, okay, well, let's go and, and do it. And uh, that's how it came out. And I started first with the, the Russian community because I was surrounded by Russian speakers. It's something which started here in Iceland. I came here to study Icelandic. And then at the same time, I complicated my life by adding another language such as uh, Russian and I thought I should do something for for the Russian speaking community that is to uh, you know try to represent them and so this footage uh, our one hour footage came out with both youngsters very dynamic very uh, part of the contemporary society and the more uh, conservative uh, post-Soviet uh, intelligentsia which also resides here in Iceland you have representatives of both sides and this one hour documentary came out and just put it on YouTube so that it would be available and open to everyone. At the same time then, this I did last year, it was in November 2010, uh, 2020, sorry. And at the same time, I then worked on a more 
on a bigger project, which was a documentary divided in four episodes about the lives of immigrants in general in the country. And so the, it is divided in four episodes and they focus on different things. For example, the lives of uh, immigrants who have just come here to study Icelandic and are struggling with uh, learning the language. Then the lives of immigrants who were ex-students and are now part of the society and did not return to their respective countries. And then also the lives of those who just came here straight to work or because of love reasons, because of uh, working reasons. And uh, I mentioned also the problems, um, oh, uh, the, uh, the many uh, migrants who come here seeking asylum. And the, the fourth episode concentrates on, on the lives of, of the Poles. I wanted to represent like one community in particular. Uh, so how did you split up the other three episodes? What is what are the themes of those? The other three episodes they are just uh, they. Uh, the first episode is on just about the students, the students who come here to study Icelandic, who've been here for very little time, and often they get the experience that they are speaking Icelandic, and then they they receive like back conversations in English. This is something that happens when when they go to shops because uh, you know this is such a new phenomenon that uh, that we can talk Icelandic, and it's uh, it's it is very challenging also for Icelanders who, are, who have never been uh, with foreigners who could speak their mother tongue to be able to pro deliver the right reaction as well you know in, uh, and that is you know to keep on 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 Icelandic speaking Icelandic because they think that they're doing a favor to to foreigners by speaking English of course and making them at ease but among these foreigners are also the ones who want to, to learn Icelandic so this is uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting episode because it also plays with the stereotypes that uh, foreigners have on Icelanders. And uh, so it is informative, the series, but at the same time, it is also very, very playful, I'd say, because it, it is full of uh, yeah, stereotypes and, and comic sketches, I would call them. Yeah. And the other two episodes, when, that is when, when the other three episodes, that is when, when, the, um, when the, these ex-students move on. For example, when they uh, go into the tourism industry, well, what, what was once was the tourism industry, or when they, uh, for example, uh, they become teachers themselves. So sometimes this has, has happened of Icelandic. We we have we have had many, there are many, uh, so to say, geniuses who come here who are polyglots, multiglots who learn so many languages and they. Uh, are involved in the program um, Icelandic as a second language. So they teach, uh, there are non-natives who teach here. And then the third episode is just people who came here not because of studying of studies, but because came here because of love reasons or just directly to work, not to study Icelandic first. And of course, uh, there is many of them or people who were seeking asylum. And in the fourth, we had the Poles because they are the biggest uh, minority, of course. They had to be represented. Uh, and what about language? The documentary on YouTube is partly in English, partly in Russian with subtitles. Is that right? That is, that is correct, yes. And then Theora Island is all, all in Icelandic? Theora Island is mostly in Icelandic with some English parts, um, whereas the documentary in, in Russian is mostly all in Russian, but is with English subtitles. And, and on will Theora Island be available with English subtitles? 
Terra Island, yes, will be available with uh, English subtitles, probably. It will be also uh, broadcasted on uh, Roof uh, Tour, Stur Tour, and so it, it will have subtitles. Not Stur that's different. <laughs> <laughs> the yes, yes, sorry, yes, the channel. On, yeah, Ruta, yeah. Yeah, uh, good, 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 good. Yeah, because that's um, that's sort of something that Roof English has really been pushing for, and I'm glad that. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward. forward. The organisation are getting that message. <laughs> looking forward for the feedback and see uh, what uh, the reception is going to be. You know. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I very much look forward to watching that. Um, maybe if we move on now, would you yeah, like to talk about the lovely virus or the lovely volcano first? Let's talk about the lovely volcano first. Why not? You know, and it's uh, exciting. You've been there, right? Yes, I've been there. I was there on Wednesday, and uh, it is uh, an experience which cannot be compared to anything else. Of course, it's uh, I highly recommend it to anyone. You know, it's uh, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, isn't it? In in a way, because everything is so approachable. You can you can get close to the crater and to the lava in a way which is just. Uh, possible in a theme park almost you know <laughs> everything is there for you uh, just readily ready to be enjoyed you know in a way you know but you and do kind of feel the power of it that the, there's a there is a definite danger as well it's so accessible but you yeah you're very yes, aware there's of a definite danger and of course uh, the thing you want to make sure when you're there is that is that the, the wind is on your back otherwise hmm. otherwise uh, yes it might be poisonous so we are all are all very aware of that and of course there is there is a lot of scientists working there and who uh, who are making sure that uh, the, this is uh, i think there are alarms going on if 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 the level of um, toxic gases raises too much and and if puddles form of of these toxic gases uh, and yeah the the experience is, is quite strong and and uh, i must i must say that you know uh, often, you know, people who move here from densely populated areas who have moved to Iceland, to Reykjavik, you know, going back to, to migrants, they feel as if, you know, they're living in a placid periphery of Europe and where life goes on very tranquilly and sometimes it's not eventful enough. And then all of a sudden you get first, you know, in, what was it in 2010-20, you know, the 20th of October last year, we all remember the footage when uh, Elki Rapt was addressing the parliament at the Althingi. And then all of a sudden this huge shake comes and, you know, he makes his way to the exit. And then the, the quakes start again this year. And, uh, you know, at first you would uh, you know, just maybe open your eyes to make sure that the ceiling is not falling on you if you, if you are asleep. But then as days followed, you know, people would just carry on with their lives, you know, you, you wouldn't even open your eyes when you were sleeping, you were, you're just thinking, okay, it's just the quakes, you know, you feel like you were rocked by, by, by the quakes. And during the days we had already made sure that we knew in this like month of intensive shakes, where to go and cover ourselves up, uh, our heads up, mm -hmm. and uh, on which to hold on. And um, you know, but although at some point we just we all felt like Mr. Banks in Mary Poppins, where he just carries on with his life, you know, and all the quakes, you know, don't even don't ruin his composure. You know, he perfect, he keeps the perfect British aplomb uh, throughout all of it. You know, after a month of quakes, and then you have, yeah, I would say, yeah, you have the quakes, you have the Northern Lights. All of a sudden, some some of the best Northern Lights I've seen in in ten years, and. Uh, 
you know, moving so rapidly, so colorful and everything else. And then you have the volcano and you feel that you are in the center of where it is all happening. You're not on the periphery of Europe. <laughs> you mm. are in a place where you can have a very intimate uh, relationship with, uh, with planet Earth and uh, where you actually feel that the action is going on in a way. <laughs> and of course, we're missing out on all the big COVID stress, which is affecting uh, the, the citizens of other parts of Europe. I mean, we are part of it as well, but on a, on a minor tone, on a minor scale, I want to remind everyone because uh, even though we might be distressed about the restrictions, they're necessary and they're nothing compared to, the, to all the other uh, measures put in place in other, in other parts of Europe. Now, the, the local mun municipality in Grindavik has put aside, I think, 10 million kroner to set up uh, better access to the volcano site. They're going to be putting in toilets um, oh, yes. and, and better car parking facilities, all of which is definitely going to be necessary if the eruption continues. And there's no sign of it dying down at this stage. Um, you know, it could go on for a year or more, but there's just mm -hmm. no way to know it. Yes, it could go on for a for a long time. <clears throat> Excuse me, it could go on for a long time because it is uh, what is it called an effusive eruption, isn't it? And in which the lava steadily flows out of the volcano onto the ground, and you know you have two types of eruptions. You have the explosive eruption, and then you have the effusive eruption. And the effusive eruption uh, is different in a wherein the magma is not violently fragmented, but it is expelled slowly. So this is what, what is it called? A shield volcano could be. It so, could become one, yeah. Yeah, referring to the shape, of course, you know, of, of the volcano, because mm -hmm. the lava flows very, uh, is very fluid uh, with a low viscosity, I think it's called. And so it travels a long way and it forms a shield. So this could go on for Yes, not, not weeks or years, but it could go on even for, for a lifetime. Well, we don't know that. But so it's, it's a good idea that, uh, yes, that um, infrastructures are being considered and put in place in case it should uh, keep going. And like you say, the viscosity is, is very low. It, it comes out of there looking like water. It's, it's very hot and very thin, and then it cools as it goes away. But it remains liquid underneath that crust for yes it remains a long time all of a sudden you think that the crust has solidified but it hasn't at all because then all of a sudden pools of magma of uh, of glowing lava are visible they they, they can they form suddenly i've mm. seen videos about this and 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 yeah everything lights up and then the people go from far away you hear this <laughs> this echo. When we arrived on Wednesday, it was quite an experience because it was, I think, one of the days with, uh, with the highest flux, influx of, of people. And many thousands were uh, made their way there. And uh, as soon as we arrived, we were joined by, uh, we, we, we saw a squad of Norwegian soldiers who most likely just uh, flew to Iceland just to witness uh, the scene. They were very num numerous, these uh, this, uh, Norwegian soldiers, and uh, they contributed to making the, the set more filmic in a way, let's say. And we were able to take, of course, the new trail, the easy one, mm. which had become some sort of uh, Bankastraiti-Leugavegur on 
Thorlaxmessa, that is the 23rd of December, filled with city dwellers walking along and greeting each other as, as we all were, mm. all through day and darkness. And uh, when the eruption, whereas when the eruption first started, the other unmarked uh, long trail was for the, uh, the bold and sturdy hikers, you know, but uh, the, new one, the new one ended up being an experience just for, uh, for everyone. And there is a steep part of the trail now where one needs to use a rope uh, to, go, to go up at, or, or at least to come down. And it's advisable, of course, to touch it as little as possible or to use maybe specific gloves just for, for that rope so that the lower, so as to lower the risk of touching parts which might have been contaminated with the virus. And once we came up the rope, you know, once you come up, you can immediately see the volcano just in the middle of, of the scene. It is very scenically located at the center of the background. So all in all, it's just an hour's walk. And, and you hear the, the rattle of the lava and, and see this lava pumped out of earth. And, and then you hear also the crackling of the dry lava on the edges of the lava fields, slowly collapsing in the distance, uh, being pushed by the new, the new lava. Many, many of us have made this comparison, compared uh, the whole uh, set to, to Mordo in the Lord of the Rings. Because <laughs> it's quite, it's quite uh, eerie and sinister at the same time. It's so surreal. You, you, you feel like, uh, you feel like it's, 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 it's too perfect. And uh, in a way, it's almost not, not real. We were there like hypnotized for, for, three, for three long hours. So I can imagine, you know, and then of course, not being a geologist or a geographist, what, what caught my attention was, was also how people were, were, were reacting, you know, uh, to, to the phenomenon. Some were picking, picnicking, some played guitars, some drank beer, some cooked pancakes, and uh, some were herring, wearing helmets with horns. So it was like very folkloristic in a way, you know, humans are a curious creature. <laughs> And the place had become some sort of amusement park, but yet the experience was so authentic and so unique. There was nothing, you know, kitsch or fake in it. it was There's a nice. definite smell there as well. Yeah, definite smell. And there, there is a smell. You can smell the, the, the moss, which is burning. You can smell um, part of the, uh, well, very slightly in, in the distance part of, of the gases, but also I would say the sounds are the, the things that caught uh, most uh, your attention because the rattling of, of the lava, you know, resembles a bit, I don't know, the water uh, in, in, a, in a, some sort of uh, container, you know, which is, which is um, uh, dashing towards the edges of a container. And you can hear this very amplified from far away. So this is striking also, you cannot compare it to anything else. And the tactile experience of the lava, you know, when, when you pick it up, which has this very uh, glassy texture, you know, at least the top layer, and, and as many sharp uh, points, of course, you know, as you break it, your fingers will easily be scratched by it. And fragments will, of any lava rock you might pick up, will easily stick on the top of your fingertips. It's a very mm -hmm. strange tactile experience, yes. That's true. Um, you've touched on the, the, the contagion risk at the site. Um, there are, you know, thousands of people going to see this every day, especially in good weather, like, like on Wednesday and yesterday. Yes. Um, maybe today as well. Probably today as well. Yeah. Um, and one case last week, one case out of quarantine was someone who's been working at the volcano, helping visitors. 
so mm -hmm. it's it's not a theoretical risk as well and i noticed how difficult it was to keep the two meter rule for example and definitely touching that rope <laughs> yes yes uh, dif di very difficult and i think people are become completely well most of them are oblivious about uh, about covid once once they're there but it, it is we should be reminded we should be reminded that we have to wear masks in even even in those cases if we do not feel safe or at least that we should keep very long distances but you know by the rope it's it's quite difficult to do so so one should should just be very careful well, there were hundreds of people last night queuing to get to the rope to go down again because it was so slippery with ice Yes, yes. Yeah. And there was no two meters. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to get down uh, unless uh, you, you, you hold on to the rope. Otherwise, you, you just make a big slide <laughs> all the way down. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, but all of this is all of this is even in the news and being talked about in the first place because we've gone on to this 10-person um, assembly limit. Schools are closed. Um, bars are closed again, swimming pools, gyms. This is supposed started on, hang on, did it start on Thursday or Wednesday? Thursday. Yeah, yes. And it's supposed to run for three weeks. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough to be back in this situation again, isn't it? Especially as yes, we all it thought is. it was over. Yes, and I hope that we everything's going to be normal as 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 regards the visits to to the volcano because this is like such an emotional outlet. Uh, for people to go and visit the place, you know, in spite of all the restrictions, we are so privileged that we can have it this so close and so close to Reykjavik. And I feel that on that Wednesday, when I went last week, many people were there because also they had just learned about the news of the new restrictions being imposed again, you know, and, you know, so the, the work finished, you know, and suddenly many people made their way to the, um, to to the place and uh, maybe to get to get some distraction and, and and some relief and yes we're we're back we're back in the uh, we were living in a bubble in a very lucky bubble you know going to our little nice vested by lake having our nice routine and routines almost mm. untouched by by the uh, by the, the covid in some way well, for a while but it was, while, I mean, yeah. it was, it hadn't really been that long since the pools opened again and the bars and everything. Uh, it's all yeah. been snatched away, but hopefully temporarily. But we forget very easily. We forget and we go back into, into normality. Although, I, I, you know, as we all feel and know, maybe the, the new normality will never be the old normality. You know? It's like after 10, 11, you know, many things change forever. And some, some uh, measures like never... Uh, are new and will will be part of like a new reality, let's say, like a post-apocalyptic uh, reality. But the Icelandic authorities have been very good at contact tracing. This is something that they did last year. You know, last year uh, they performed an excellent job in that uh, chess game of isolating cases, uh, quarantining exposed contacts, and therefore breaking up uh, these uh, chains of exponential growth. Uh, it is one of the privileges of operating, I think, in a small country, you know, it is a task which requires sturdy nerves, detective skills, and the speed of light, and arguably Iceland was very good at doing this, but I think, for example, 
it was a mistake last year, I think, not to uh, impose the use of masks earlier, actually, because we all knew about the droplets and uh, that the, uh, the transmission uh, by air was, was very... Uh, was very significant. So it does seem like was a very relatively simple measure, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It is. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, it could have been introduced uh, earlier, but we did get that at the end. And of course, the measures that of the uh, of the tracking that we had last year, so they were they were very effective as well. So no no afterthoughts about that. So when, when we started using masks in the autumn, I was all too relieved, of course, because also it, yeah, they, they really uh, made a change as regards this, uh, the, the, the droplets. What do you also, make I think, people, sorry, what do you make of people um, criticizing the measures at this time? Um, perhaps saying that they've taken the harshest measures we've had so far and imposed them over what is relatively few cases compared to the autumn. What do you make of that <laughs> argument? The harshest measures. Then I then I then I say, look at Australia and New Zealand. Look what they've gone for. Look what has happened. Maybe just today, where they have they've had I don't know seven nine cases, and they're going on a total lockdown again for at least a few days, mm -hmm. with a population of twenty five millions. There is seven seven inhabitants were inf infected. Maybe just today in a country of 25 million and they go on total lockdown. But of course, you know, this is, it's, it's a country's choice, you know. Uh, New Zealand and, uh, and Australia, they have delivered a, a sledgehammer response to, to COVID restrictions. They, they did not go for the policy of reduction of cases, but rather unofficially of elimination of cases with uh, draconian measures. And that's what we have to, consider and think of uh, is this what we well is this what we want maybe not we don't want this but we have to find some comfortable uh, way in between and we should not think that the measures put in place now are too draconian after all um there are of course in addition to those arguments there are people that are saying well do we even need to do it now because the most vulnerable people have been vaccinated um uh, and you can understand where they're coming from with that, at least. They have been vaccinated, but uh, you know there's many more that uh, should be vac vaccinated. So we cannot. We have to think of a long-term strategy because we have a, a mirage. The mirage of uh, of of vaccinating two hundred thousand people by by summer is is not achievable because of all the problems that we we're having with with the delivery of vaccinations in Europe. I mean, we're not alone in Iceland. We, it's a problem which we have in Italy and many, many other regions. So we have to think of, of the long-term um, long strategy. And there are people who say that even the certificate of, um, of having been vaccinated might not be enough that a person could be still uh, infectious in a way, at least towards others, you know, could be carrying a uh, charge of the virus so so one has to be has to be very 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 cautious and of course we want to enjoy our freedom but uh, restrictions are happening in in uh, in all the rest of europe where the situation is much more complex and and of course then we you know if you think of australia yeah i i still now i'm thinking of australia i'm thinking i remember all the 
the quarantine that people had to do for 14 days in hotels which were guarded by by soldiers and um, yeah we we need to find a comfortable way in between and and i think that it the measures that are put in place now are not too strict no indeed well on that note um we have run out of time already it seems to already go so quickly yeah well, that's time flies that time so flies we, we wish the best to daddy Freif. we wish the best to the football team and yes well they need luck. <laughs> they need luck it seems all of them yes um the week in iceland will be back after two weeks on monday the 12th of april on roof.as forward slash english roof english on facebook through the roof app and your favorite podcast platform um huge thanks to my guest today Vardi Mastatuoni morbili and also to lydia kretasdottir for seeing to the technical side of things the reason for our break next week is of course easter uh, during which time roof english will be taking a few days off Though any major breaking stories will be covered on our Facebook page. And do keep an eye out on uh, roof.is forward slash English tomorrow for our review of Easter television highlights in English or with English subtitles. We finish today with a song called Vor i Vagloskoyi, or Springtime in Vagloskogur Forest, which is near Akureyri. Um, this is the 2013 version by Kaleo. Bye for now. Oh, water Oh